Isn't it something to know that he knows our name? You're not a stranger to him. And he does know what's on your heart. He sees every tear that falls. That's who our God is. He's a great God. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to the book of Amos in the Word of God today. And we're going to follow through with some of the same thoughts that we saw in Wednesday night with a little bit of deviation from that to some other things. May I just share with you on Wednesday evenings we have Bible study where we study a book of the Bible. And then on Sunday morning we talk about that same book. And so this coming uh, Wednesday night we'll be talking about, Lord willing, uh, the book of Obadiah. Obadiah is the shortest of the prophets, just one chapter. And so we'll see what the Lord has for us there on Wednesday evening. But today, the book of Amos, and I've got to tell you, the book of Amos is one of the most interesting books of the Bible i found. It really is. There's so much there for us in our walk with the Lord And I hope you will draw some of that from this book today. Chapter 1, verse 1 talks about um, how he was called, the words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders. And it tells us where he was from and where he lived. That's not too important for our purposes today. And immediately after he hears from the Lord, which is what is talked about in verse 2, when the Lord said, Or when Amos said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. That sounds like to me that the message that Amos received from the Lord got Amos' attention. (laughs) Because if you've ever heard a lion roar, it'll get your attention. And Amos described this, this that he received from God. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Now, in the remainder of chapter 1, as we, we just want to give some context to what I really want to share today. Amos receives from the Lord some judgments that are coming on the nations. I'm not going to take the time to dissect that and unpack it. In verse 3, the Bible says, thus says the Lord, and it's about Damascus. In verse 6, thus says the Lord, and it's about Gaza. In verse 9, thus says the Lord, and it's about Tyre. In verse 11, thus says the Lord, and the message is about Edom. In verse 13, thus says the Lord, and the the judgment is about Ammon. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, thus says the Lord, and the message is about Moab. So Amos the prophet is receiving these messages from the Lord, and the Lord says, this is what I'm going to do. To these nations. This is what I'm going to do to these groups of people. I think there are five of them named there thus far. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring judgment on these people for what they have inflicted upon my people, what they have done to Israel and to Judah. So the Lord is bringing judgment upon other nations for how they have treated God's people. And so the people of God might be tempted to say, That was close because the judgment's falling on them. But Amos is just getting started, isn't he? And then in chapter 2, verse 4, there's another, thus saith the Lord. And this one is to Judah. And Judah is God's people from the 
from the southern kingdom. And Amos says, as he's quoting God, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, their lies sent them astray, led them astray, lies which their fathers followed, but I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. So in this passage, it is made known and announced and pronounced, prophesied that the Lord is going to bring judgment upon Judah. And then there's another, thus says the Lord in verse 6, and this one concerns the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Lord says this to them, for three transgressions of Israel and for four. I will not turn away its punishment. Listen to the things that God's people were doing that the Lord found very, very troubling. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor. They pervert the way of the humble. Latter part of verse 7, a man and his father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down at every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. I'd like for you to notice that he lets them know the Lord brings to their attention that they are mistreating people, they are abusing people, they are guilty of immorality, they are guilty of idolatry. And if the Lord were to send a prophet to America today in the same sense that he sent Amos to Israel, we would hear some of the same charges. Amen? There are things in our nation today that are terribly troubling to the Lord. I know that because some of the same things we mentioned right here, immorality is rampant, idolatry is everywhere, and people being taken advantage of, and people being mistreated, and people being abused, and abortions, and and all kinds of things happening that we know break the heart of God and are contrary to His Word. Now, the Lord said in this book of the Bible through Amos that He was going to send punishment upon the nations, and He did. And he said, I'm going to send punishment to Judah, the southern kingdom. And he has. And I'm going to send judgment to the northern kingdom, Israel. And everything else that is said in the book of Amos from this point forward deals with Israel, the the northern kingdom, and what God is going to do to them as he gives warnings to them and tries to get them to repent. He says in chapter 3, verse 2, he wants to remind them that they're his people. If you're going to be called by the name of the Lord, if we were to put this in contemporary language today, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, profess to be a Christian, then you ought to live like a Christian. Amen? And so the scripture says in verse 2, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. But you have left me and you have gone after idols and you're doing all these things. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? How many have ever heard that scripture quoted before? 
Can two walk together unless they are agreed? And most of the time, when we look at that verse, we think it has to do with like Brother Ron Bomar and, and Ron Brisson. And, and if we're going to walk together, we have to agree. That's the way we look at it. But when you look at this verse in context, it's not talking about this man and this man coming together and agreeing and walking together. It's talking about the people of God walking with him. And you can't walk with God and be where you need to be with God unless you agree with God and walk with him. If you're going to disagree with God, if you're going to contend with God, if you're going to go against what God says, you're not going to be able to be pleasing in His sight and and have fellowship with Him and enjoy His favor and His blessings. That's just what the Bible teaches. So, the Bible says, um, as we continue in chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 4 now, There are five times, five times in chapter 4 where the Lord has done things to them by way of punishment, if you will, trying to get their attention. And five times the Lord says, yet you have not returned to me. In other words, I brought famine upon you, yet you have not returned to me. And I did something else to you, yet you have not returned to me. I warned you with this thing, yet you have not returned to me. And five times he says, but you have not returned to me, says the Lord. In chapter 5, verse 4, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Now we've got some bright folks here today. I've got great confidence in you. If the Lord says, seek me and live, the opposite would be, don't seek me and die. Verse 6 says, seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. Well, then we come down to chapter 6, verse 1. And I'm skipping a lot of things just to give us some context before we get into our message for today. Chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. When I read that verse, I think about somebody in a rocking chair. And while they sit in that rocking chair, they've gone into la-la land. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe your recliner at home. You get at ease. Most of the time when you get at ease, you're going to start snoring. <laughs> you, you, you just, you, it, nothing matters. You're just gone. You're wiped out. The Bible says, woe to you who are at ease in Zion. And woe to you who trust in Mount Samaria, where the government rested. And Woe to you who trust in notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. May I contemporize contemporize that for us, please? Woe to you who are at ease. And today it would be in the church for us because that's where we are. And trust in Washington, D.C., Notable persons, chief in the nation, the Democrats and the Republicans and the president and the Senate and the House. I got to tell you all today, that's not where my trust is. Amen. 
It won't be in Washington. As a matter of fact, it won't be in any man. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to trust and to fear who? Fear God. Amen. It is in him. That's where our hope lies. So when we get to chapter 7, and all the above, everything that's been stated so far, was just kind of give us some context to where we're going in the remainder of this over the next very few moments. The Lord, as He often does with prophets, He gives them visions. And before I go any farther, may I back up seven days and remind you from the book of Joel last week, that the Bible says, In the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the old men and the young men and the handmaidens even, they will all have the spirit poured out upon them and they will dream dreams and see visions and they will prophesy. Anybody remember that? These are the last days. The Lord is still doing that. Listen, the Lord is still speaking to people today. God's not dead and he's not in a rocker asleep. He's waiting for us to respond to him. He's waiting for us to hear him. And so this warning today for us is as applicable as it was when Amos gave it so many hundreds of years ago. The vision in chapter 7. The first one is the vision of locusts. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said. Now, let's stop right there. He, uh, Amos has seen this vision. And in this vision, this great locust plague comes. That prompted a response in the heart of Amos. So Amos began to cry out to the Lord. And he said, oh, Lord God, forgive, I pray. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. He's weak. We need your help, Lord. We need you to be merciful. So verse 3 says, so the Lord relented concerning this. It was, after all, a vision that he saw, not reality. Remember that. He saw this vision, and Amos said, no, Lord, no, please, Forgive us, we pray. And the Bible says in verse 3, So the Lord relented concerning this. He changed his mind and said, It shall not be, said the Lord. So Amos goes, Boy, that was close. So, in verse 4, there's another vision. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire. And it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Again, Amos is troubled. So he cries out, oh, Lord God, cease, I pray. Stop this, please, Lord. Oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small and weak. and Be merciful to us, Lord. So verse 6 says, so the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be said the Lord God. And then we come to verse 7. Now there's another vision. Thus he showed me. Please listen very carefully to this vision. This is what he showed me. 
Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. If you'll notice in verse 7, when there were locust swarms and this great destruction, and then Amos cried out, he prayed for mercy that the Lord passed on by. And then if you'll notice in verse 4, when there was a vision of fire and Amos cried out for mercy, that the Lord changed his mind and passed on by. But when we get to the vision of verse 7, this plumb line, he says, I will not pass by them anymore. I'm not going to leave this time. I'm not going to... Um, relent this time. I'm not going to change my mind this time. This time, there's going to be judgment. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. In other words, judgment is coming and judgment is sure. Now, don't worry. Pastor Ron has not lost his mind. But I'm going to come up here just to illustrate to you what we just read in the Scripture. And the Bible says that the Lord, isn't it amazing to read in the Bible that the Lord stood on a wall? I find that quite interesting. I don't know what form the Lord took in that passage. But the Scripture says that the Lord stood on a wall... He stood on a wall that had been built with a plumb line. Now, I don't know if you can see this plumb line or not. There is a line going from my finger down to this really heavy piece of steel or whatever it is that I've been carrying around in my pocket all morning. It's really heavy. If I were to drop it, it probably would stick into this floor, this wooden floor up here, this platform. Really sharp on the end. A very precise instrument, to be honest with you. Just to kind of test this out, last night, I came out here to try to figure out the best way I could illustrate to you. So I was playing with the plumb line. Never done that before that I know of. But I checked that corner over there. And then I checked that back corner at the very back. And then I checked the other back corner. And I checked this corner right over here. And you know what I found? Every one of those corners were plumb. They were just about as perfect it could possibly be. Because that plumb bob with the weight there hanging down stretches that string tight. Gravity takes care of the rest of it and pulls it down. And I don't need a level. I don't need a laser. I don't need anything else. That plumb line tells me what is straight up. Amen. And the Bible says that the Lord stood on a wall that had been built with a plumb line. So he was standing on a straight wall. The wall was not crooked. And he was standing there on this wall. 
But he looked at Amos and said, Amos, what do you see? And he said, well, I see you standing on a wall with a plumb line in your hand. And then the Lord said, well, I'm not going to pass by anymore. This time, I'm going to put my plumb line where? Where did it say? Where did it say? In the midst of my people. So the picture is the Lord is bringing the plumb line. Brother Ron, would you stand up? And the picture is the Lord is standing here. And he takes the plumb line and he's going to measure Brother Ron Bomar. You're looking pretty good there, brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> brother Ron said, thank God. <laughs> looking pretty good. I, I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer that, that's got a, you're not going to be offended when it don't turn out so well. Elvis, come here, buddy. See, now I want you to know this was not a judgment. This was, this was not necessarily a judgment on the nation. The point about going in the midst of the people was to start checking things out. So then the Lord might look at Elvis according to the plumb line and he might say, hmm. <laughs> Elvis said he knows he needs some work. And then he might come over here somewhere. Harold, stand up for me. You see, what he's doing, the Lord is walking through the midst of Israel. And, and he's using his plumb line. He's checking things out. And he might say, yeah, we give, we'll pass. We'll pass this. Like a building inspector. We'll pass this. Thank you, Harold. Now, see, the deal about a plumb line is it doesn't lie. Because of the way it's, it's made... That weight goes all the way down to the floor and, and assuming you get it still and the wind's not blowing it, it's going to be plumb. It's going to be upright. It's going to be righteous. It's going to be just. It's going to provide for us a standard. Amen? In other words, this is the standard by which we judge perpendicular or plumb or righteousness. The standard is not in my eyes. The standard is what it is. The Lord took the plumb line and stood on the wall that had been constructed with a plumb line. And the, the, the wall was in good shape. The wall was straight. The standard was good. The, the, the foundation was stable. And he holds there with that plumb line. And he walks into the midst of the people of Israel and he starts checking things out. I got to tell you, that's a pretty sobering thought for me. It tells me several things. Number one, it lets me know in this particular passage that there is a standard. There is a standard. Is there? Wait a minute, are we, are we at liberty to go through life believing what we want to believe and how we want to believe it and all the varied circumstances of life without any 
regard at all for what this book says, but because it feels good to me and it feels right to me, then I'm going to do it this way. I'll tell you what, if that's the way we would do things, we're going to be in trouble with God when he holds up the plumb line to our lives. Because the standard is not how we feel about it. The standard is what does this book say? And that's what we're going to be judged by. Boy, I'll tell you, America's in a mess, if that's the case. With the deviations and the, the, what, what has been done to the Word of God in America, America as a nation is going to be in bad shape when we stand before God and God judges the nations. But when it comes to, here's where the hope lies for me. Because the Lord did not pass them by, but He went into the midst of Israel. And he started taking a look at each one of them. And then he began to make decisions about who they were. How they were doing. Things weren't so good. And this time, as a matter of fact, in chapter 8, as we continue there. He says, thus the Lord God showed me a basket of summer fruit. Can you imagine this big fruit basket full of all kinds of fruit? Everybody got that in your mind? Now get it out. Or at least envision that whole fruit basket being rotten fruit. Because that's what's being talked about here. It says, the Lord God showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit. Amos, what do you see? Well, I see a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. No more excuses, no more relenting. You know, the time is going to come when the Lord's going to say that about us. No more excuses. No more second chances. The end has come. I will not pass by them anymore. This is, of course, talking about the day of the Lord and the end time. And the Bible says many dead bodies will be everywhere in chapter chapter 8, verse 3. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 7. And these are the words of Jesus because it corresponds closely to what we're talking about today. Many of you have heard this before. The Bible says, enter, these are the words of Jesus, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there be many who go in by it. Anybody can go through the wide gate and anybody can go down Broadway. And many do, but it leads to destruction and many people go that way. But Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. Do you know what that means? There are restrictions on us as Christians as to how we live our lives. 
We can't live like everybody else lives. Perhaps go where everybody else goes. Does what everybody else does. There's a standard in God's Word for His people. It is a narrow... I don't know why that just came to mind. How many of you have been on airline lately? Little narrow seats. They don't build seats made for somebody my size on an airline anymore. Boy, they're, they're, they're narrow. And it's difficult. The Bible says that gate is narrow. And then even the way itself, the road is narrow with difficulties. Yes, it will sometimes be hard to take a stand as a Christian and say, no, 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 not me. I'm sorry. No, I, I, I can't do this, go there. I can't be that. You see, there there is godly and then there is ungodly, right? So the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 2 verse 11, there's three things I want to point out here. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us, teaching us these three things. Number one, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. I'm going to read that again in case we didn't get it. We should deny ungodliness. And deny worldly lust. And we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Some people are of the opinion that they can live any way they want to live here. When they get to heaven, they'll live right. It don't work that way. Number one, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Number two. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Anybody believe Jesus is coming one day? Maybe soon. Maybe real soon. And then number three, it gives us the story of redemption. Who gave himself for us, Jesus did. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. From every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Well, there's a lot in that little phrase right there, that verse. But notice that we were redeemed from every lawless deed. The Lord doesn't forgive us of our sins for us to go right back to our sins. Amen? He forgives us of our sins and then we're supposed to... To cease that lifestyle. So he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And he wants to purify for himself his own special people. That's us. Do you know the Lord wants to purify you? And then so that we can be zealous for good works. That is to do the things that God wants us to do. Now remember... Remember the plumb line. 
as if God walks into your home, just like I walked to Ron Bomar and Elvis and Harold. The Lord, and he doesn't need a plumb line. And he doesn't need to walk where you are personally. He sees every thought, right? Every thought, every emotion, every desire, every thought. He knows everything about us. His eyes are as a burning fire, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. I mean, he's, he's, he sees right through us. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing. And it's as if he comes to each one of us with the plumb line. And he's checking to see if we're upright. If we're perpendicular. If we're pleasing in his sight. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. That's a good verse, folks. You see, it's not my job to examine you. I've got to say that again. It's not my job to examine you. My job as a pastor is just to do what I've done this morning and as to to just stand flat-footed and declare the word of the Lord, period. I can't save a soul. I can't cleanse a soul. I can't purify a soul. It's beyond my power. My job is to declare God's word, declare the good news, and then let God do the rest. So the Bible says, examine yourselves, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He's going to use the plumb line on each of us, as it were, as he evaluates our lives, how we live, what we say, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, where we go. How we act, how we respond, the whole gamut of our lives. He'll use the plumb line, but he tells us to double check ourselves. That is biblical. So I'd like for us to do that right now. As we sing this song. I'm going to ask you, maybe just go ahead and stand because we're going to be closing in just a few moments. This is a prayer, first and last verse to an old hymn. The words are very appropriate for us this morning. And if you're here today and you recognize that there's a need in your heart for repentance in some area of your life. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Some people say that altar calls and invitations are old-fashioned and outdated and we shouldn't do them anymore. As a matter of fact, some churches don't do them anymore. Back in the old churches, especially in the Methodist church, they had something called the morning bench. 
It's where people who were burdened and needed to pray would come down and bow. We have in our church an altar here formed out of these steps. And I'm going to ask you, because you don't need to come and repent to me. You just need to come and bow and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for whatever it is in my life that keeps me from being like you want me to be. I acknowledge that I failed in this area or this area or this area and I want your help. Be merciful to me, Lord. Cleanse me. Wash me. Give me the grace by your power and your spirit to do better. Make me what you want me to be. If there's even an inkling as we sing this song that the spirit of the Lord might be touching you ministering to you I'd like for you to be man enough or woman enough just to walk down the aisle and bow at the altar and talk to the Lord for just a few minutes (gasps) somebody might know that I've done something I'm going to tell you all of us have areas in our lives that we should repent of I've seen some some Christian people act some ungodly ways you have to and those are the types of things we don't need to try to sweep under the rug and say it doesn't matter well I'm going to tell you when the Lord puts the plumb line up in front of us as it were boy those things are going to be glaring he sees them anyway so the point is as we examine ourselves Please don't ignore anything that the Holy Spirit might speak to you about. Let's spend just a few moments together in prayer before we leave today. If you feel so directed, let's sing.